<clears throat> we're going to jump around a little bit. Um, so if you're using your pew Bible, the, the first scripture reading is from Matthew chapter 2 on page 783 in your pew Bibles. Um, so we're going to do Matthew 2, 1 through 2, and then 9 through 11. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the time of King Herod, uh, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. After they had heard the king, they went on their way, and the star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshiped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Psalm 145, three through five is on page 508. Great is the Lord and most worthy of praise. His greatness no one can fathom. One generation commends your works to another. They tell of your mighty acts. They speak of the glorious splendor of your majesty, and I will meditate on your wonderful works. 1 Peter 3.8 is on page 982. Finally, all of you, be like-minded, be sympathetic, love one another, be compassionate and humble. And this is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Carrie. You may be wondering why those scriptures have been chosen, and you'll find out, I guarantee. Um, I want to start with a story. Our daughter Chloe has a hermit crab that lives in a little terrarium on top of her dresser. Um, much to her disappointment, we said no to a puppy. We said no to a kitten. We said no to a hamster. We said no to a guinea pig. We said no to a mouse, but we did say you can have a hermit crab. <laughs> this was a, a year or two ago, and it was very exciting when she brought home the crab and the terrarium and all the stuff to put inside it, and she got it all set up, and she had to put a couple inches of this stuff called substrate on the bottom, which is like f coconut husk that it can bury into. And as she put the crab into the tank, it sort of walked around and was like exploring its new environment. So she said, I'm going to call him Curious. So we have a hermit crab named Curious. Unfortunately, since that day, it hasn't lived up to its name because <coughs> it spends about 23 and half hours buried in the substrate every day. I think it comes out at night to take a little food and then go back. So now the name Curious always strikes me as ironic for this crab. The, the sermon today is called, You Have Permission to Be Curious. Um, I'm taking a little break before we plunge back into Exodus to preach a mini sermon series for this and the next two weeks about a few things that can get overlooked or avoided in Christian circles. And yet these are things we really need to do in order to have a healthy life and faith. Um, and the first one today is about curiosity. You have permission to be curious. Um, your curiosity is a gift from God who designed you to 
be curious about the right things and for that to lead you to him. Um, Webster's Dictionary defines curiosity as the desire to know. The desire to know. Now, not all things are worth knowing or finding out. Sometimes curiosity can be foolish. I wonder if this car can go 100 miles an hour. I wonder if I can eat this whole pizza all by myself. Right? <laughs> We've all done things that you know, prove the expression, curiosity killed the cat. <clears throat> Sometimes curiosity can be downright sinful. We say, I wonder what I could say that would hurt that person the most. Or I wonder how far I can push this sin until I get caught. Not, you know, sometimes a desire to know is bad, but when our curiosity is harnessed for good, it is an engine that leads us closer to God. That's what I want to talk about this morning. And specifically, I want to share three different areas in your life where curiosity will serve you well, where God wants you to be curious. I'm going to weave a few different scriptures together, um, but listen carefully because there may be one thing in this sermon that really is for you today. And let's begin in prayer. Father, I'm aware that um, my words are as nothing compared to um, you and your truth. Uh, This is a small offering, and yet I pray that by your power, by your word, you would speak through um, what I've prepared, and let, um, let your message come through for your people today. And make us curious in the right ways. In Jesus' name, amen. <clears throat> so three ways, three areas where your curiosity will serve you well. Number one, follow curiosity toward God. Curiosity is necessary in order to know the Lord. You know, we serve a God who is worthy of wonder. He is wonderful. You could learn something new about God or of God each day or each moment for a million years and not reach the limit of what there is to know. The Psalm 145 that was read said, Great is the Lord and worthy of praise. His greatness no one can fathom. One generation commends your works to another. They tell of your mighty acts. They speak of the glorious splendor of your majesty. And I will meditate on your wonderful works. God is truly wonderful. He, uh, because of that, we are meant to wonder about him, to be in awe, to ask questions, to think. This is essentially what theology is. Now, when you hear the word theology, you might think dusty books and cold hallways and academies um, or even something dogmatic that shuts down questions. But actually, theology is about questions. You know, who is God? What is he like? What has he done? How do these parts of his word fit together? How should we live if these things are true? That's theology. Curiosity is essential. Now, the primary curriculum for answering our questions is the Word of God. Um, This book is meant to arouse your curiosity. 
Friends, if, if you've gotten to a place where this seems boring or like a chore, I invite you to, to take a second look. Read parts of this book this year that you haven't read before. Um, read parts that are familiar and ask God to show you new things. Learn to ask questions about what you read that can help you understand and draw closer to God. You know, sometimes the Bible doesn't answer your questions, but it gives you better questions. You know, you come asking, how can I feel peace or how can I have this? And God says, actually, you need to know, um, how can I be right with you? Or how can I trust you more? Or what are you like? What is God like? So read the Bible. The very first book on this reading list is called Savoring Scripture, a six-step guide to studying the Bible. Um, it's actually by a former professor of mine um, of Old Testament, and it's an excellent book that will serve you well um, if you want to understand the Bible more. Also, read books about the Bible or theology or Christian life that help you ask other questions and help you grow, help you ask questions you might not have asked. All the books on that reading list will do that. They will, they will help you wonder and think and ask. What keeps us from asking questions, from being curious? In my experience, sometimes it's pride. I think, well, I already know that, or... I've read the Bible, I know what it says, or I, I know God, that's pride. <laughs> the, the famous 4th century theologian and pastor named St. Augustine said, if you understood him, he would not be God. <laughs> so stay curious. Sometimes something that dampens our curiosity is fear. We're afraid of asking certain questions for fear of what we will find or won't find, right? But no one ever grew in their faith by ignoring questions. Uh, James Trombley, who gave me permission to share this, uh, he grew up, grew up sporadically going to church. Um, and here's what he, he told me this week. You know, as he grew up, he, got, he was curious and he asked questions like all of us do. He said, I would ask questions like, why is Christmas on December 25th if we don't know Jesus' birthday? Or how can God love us, but he's going to send us to hell if we don't do what we are supposed to do? When I would come across things in the real world that didn't line up with what I understood about Christianity... No one around me knew or seemed to want to dig into it. These were family members, friends, other people I came across. I always felt like they were afraid to scratch the surface for fear they would find problems with their own faith. Or they might anger God by doubting what they knew. And he said, if people had not only had encouraged finding these answers, but joined me in seeking answers for their own understanding, I think things might have been different. And what he means by being different is that he walked away from the faith for many years, partly because no one was helping him answer the questions he had. By God's grace, God drew him back. And 
um, gave him people that could help him think through these things. So I wonder if this might be the year for you to explore a big, nagging question that you have always had. Like, how can God be good in a world full of so much suffering? Or, um, how can Jesus be the only way when there are so many other religions in this world? Is that really true? How can I understand science in light of Genesis 1 through 11 and vice versa? How do those fit together? What is the Bible's teaching on homosexuality and how does it compare with what the world says? These are important questions to think about. And so um, maybe this is a year for you to do that. You have permission to be curious. Um, One book that I'll draw your attention to on that list is called Confronting Christianity, uh, 12 Hard Questions for the World's Largest Religion by Rebecca McLaughlin. There's also a teen version called 10 Questions Every Teen Should Ask and Answer About Christianity. Well, that's the first and longest part is that we need to be curious about God and his word. But number two, we need to use our curiosity to love others, to love people. Curiosity is necessary for love. Did you know that? You can't love someone unless you understand them. And you can't understand someone unless you find out about them, right? There are many commands in the New Testament like the one that was read from 1 Peter 3.8. Be sympathetic, love one another, be compassionate and humble. How can you be sympathetic towards someone that is to feel what they feel if you don't know what they feel? <laughs> if you don't know what they're going through? If you, you know, do they have a big health problem that they're concerned about? Is their child struggling Are they approaching an anniversary of a painful event? Or maybe they're rejoicing in a new job or the birth of a new grandchild or a new relationship. If you're curious about people and find out about them, you can love them better. One of the most loving things you can do for someone is ask good questions about them. What do they like? What makes them tick? What experiences have made them who they are? How have they been wounded? What are their hopes and dreams? You see, questions. And this takes time, it takes attention, it it takes curiosity and careful listening, but that is a very spiritual thing to do. One of my professors in seminary named Dwayne Elmer told our class a story about an epic failure of curiosity in his marriage. Uh, When he was first married, he wanted to get his wife the best gift he could possibly think of to show her how much he loved her and how he wanted to take care of her. So, being a good Midwesterner, a Wisconsinite that he was, he purchased his wife a brand new set of the best snow tires for her car that he could possibly imagine, (laughs) possibly afford. Thankfully, the marriage survived. And what he learned from that experience was that um, what he thought would be a good gift wasn't what his wife thought would be a good gift. 
So he had to be curious about, well, honey, what would you like to receive for Christmas? What would, what would make you feel loved and cared for and protected? If you've ever had an experience like that, there's a book called The Five Love Languages by Gary Chapman that will do you well. It's back there if you want to look at it. And that's, it isn't just about family or marriage or, you know, it's so important for parenting, for friendship, for work, and for relationships in the church. We need to be curious about other people to love them. So I have an assignment for you. Next time you are talking with a friend or maybe in a small group study together, come to that conversation more ready to listen and ask questions than to talk and to say what you think. There may be a moment where someone shares something about themselves that's like they're opening the door a crack to see, are you going to come in or not? And if you just say, oh, okay, well, that reminds me of something I've been thinking about lately, the door is going to slam shut. And they're going to withdraw inward and, and maybe not feel safe to share that thing again. But what if, instead of talking, you asked a follow-up question and said, tell me more about that? Or what was that like for you? You know, curious questions. Then the door opens and they invite you in and suddenly you get to know that person at a deeper level. We have to make that kind of space for each other in conversations if we're going to love each other well. Well, I want to share one more area in which God-given curiosity is essential. And this might sound like it contradicts what I just said, but it doesn't. So here it is. Be curious about yourself. I'm not talking about navel-gazing or like the selfie generation stuff. I'm talking about courageous, prayerful, spirit-guided self-examination. You know, ask questions about your own experiences. If you read the Psalms, you find David and the other authors often asking themselves questions like, Psalm 42, why are you downcast, O my soul? Why so disturbed within me? Or in Psalm 139, where he invites the Lord to help him reveal what is wrong in his heart. Lord, search me and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me. And you have opportunities to do this every day. Um, let, let's say you have a moment of failure. Let's say you get really angry and lose your temper with someone, or maybe you find yourself really anxious about something. How do you deal with that? Well, one common thing we do is we ignore it. We just stuff those feelings down and move on. Now, that's really a problem if you've hurt someone in your anger, and then you just go on as if nothing has happened. Or sometimes we can... Um, beat ourselves up about it, like, oh, I'm such a bad person. Why did I do that again? I'm, oh, I just can't, I just can't change, right? That doesn't help. But what if you approached yourself with compassionate curiosity and said, huh, I wonder why I reacted so strongly when I did. 
I wonder what was going on under the surface. I wonder what I believe about God or myself that, um, that contributed to that response. These are the kinds of questions that the Lord loves to give us insight from. Insight into your own experience so that you can know the Lord better. So that you can experience his love in all of those broken places. Ask yourself curious questions. So you see, curiosity is not an optional add-on for the Christian life. Um, It's not something to be avoided. It is part of the essential toolkit of faith. In fact, none of us would be here without it. Because at some point, if you're sitting here or watching the live stream, and if you're a Christian or if you're seeking God, at some point you've asked questions like, is the Bible really true? Uh, Could God really love me? Did Jesus really rise from the dead? Sometimes your questions have been prayerful, like, Lord, where are you? Lord, why did you let this happen? That's, those are the questions that lead us closer to God. So I wonder where God is inviting you to be curious today. If you could name one thing that you need to ask more questions about, what is it? Is it about God? Something about the Bible? Something about who he is? Is it about a person in your life that you need to really love by being curious toward? Or is it about yourself? When I was talking about the sermon with Meg this week, she reminded me of the story of the Magi, the wise men. And it occurred to me that this Sunday is the very day that many churches read the story of the Magi coming to worship Jesus. It's called Epiphany, or Three Kings Day. It's actually January 6th, but many churches celebrate it the Sunday after. And it occurred to me that this is a perfect example of how curiosity leads us to Jesus. Because you have these these scholars, these um, court officials in Persia, somewhere hundreds or a thousand miles away from Bethlehem, and they study the stars. Now, God knows that there's nothing in the stars that determines people's fates or futures, but he still spoke to them through that enterprise, and they noticed something. They were curious about this new star. Curious enough to travel hundreds of miles across rough terrain for weeks or months and to go to Jerusalem and ask, where is this new king? And then to go to Bethlehem where they finally found him and to kneel before this child and worship him as the Lord. That's a picture of what all of our curiosity is supposed to do, to lead us to Jesus. He wants to use your curiosity to lead you to him. So, you have permission to be curious. Let's pray. Lord, I know that 
there are many questions that we have. Um, some of us have burning questions. Some have questions we've ignored for a long time. Some of us don't know what questions to ask. And so I pray that you would give us holy curiosity for you, for others, for our own souls, and that we would learn to ask the right questions that lead to Jesus. I pray this in his name. Amen.